again, it goes back to A, time savings, and B, that time can be used for something else. As a business owner, your time is more valuable than just running around helping people fix stuff. Welcome to Inside the Apple Studio, a podcast that talks with architects to learn how they use Apple products in the practice of architecture, with your host, Neil Pan. Welcome to Inside the Apple Studio. In this episode, we welcome someone who's not an architect, but someone very familiar with working with architects. Our guest has created a company that specializes in helping architecture, design, and engineering firms work more efficiently. His firm understands the software tools that we use on a daily basis and assists architectural firms to integrate new software and technology into the design process so we can focus on being architects and serving our clients. I'd like to welcome Boris Rappaport to the show. Thank you for joining me. Hey, thank you, Neil. Uh, it's great to be here. Um, I'm hoping we can have a great episode and uh, you know, educate some people and help. Help is the most important thing for me. Oh, that's actually a, a great way to start it off because that's one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on this show. I think we're going to get into some things that architects tend not to want to deal with, but things that we have to deal with in order to do and have our practice in the 21st century. So before we get diving deep into some of the technical aspects, I wanted to ask you first, what got you into computers and eventually IT as a systems administrator? I grew up in Ukraine, right? And as I was growing up and we immigrated to the United States in 92, as I was growing up in Ukraine, uh, we didn't have any computers, but you did see, you know, movies and things where you, you know, you saw computers and you're like, well, what are these things supposed to do? So I started reading books about computer programming, uh, different languages, like back in the day it was basic and Pascal and Fortran um, when I was 10. And I was, you know, I was interested in that. I was also really, I guess, interested in mathematics and physics also when I was growing up. So it was kind of, it kind of aligned together. I was, you know, problem solving, I guess, was a skill that I really developed early on. And it kind of went from there. Like I started looking at the programming books and I really saw that you can solve problems by writing code. Eventually when we got, came over here, uh, my dad, he was, um, so he was an engineer by trade. And in order to work here in his, you know, in his profession, he had to work with architects and he had to learn CAD because back in Ukraine, he was doing everything by hand. But once he came over, he had to learn CAD. So he spent, like, he bought this really powerful machine back then, right? It was a, I think, 486DX2, uh, 66 megahertz processor. And it was like eight megabytes of RAM. And I think like a really low hard drive. I don't remember what it was. Probably megabytes and it's not, not gigabytes. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. It was like hundred megabyte hard drive or something like that. Right. Yeah. And so that was our first computer that I got to practice on and, you know, it had windows 3.1 on it. So you can run quick basic. So I started programming on that. Uh, and then I was helping him, you know, with his AutoCAD stuff. Cause he basically spent all the money on the computer. He paid another guy to, you know, come over and load. I think it was like a pirated version of AutoCAD or something. Mm-hmm. And that was it, right? Like that, that's all the money we had brought over and he didn't start making money yet because he was just learning. So I was basically providing tech support for him. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so it kind of just, 
organically developed from my love for computers and then kind of helping out my dad. I figured that that was a good profession to have, especially in Silicon Valley as everything was booming. So you worked for a couple of other companies for more than 15 years doing IT. Mm -hmm. And then over the, I think within the last five years or so, you started your own company, Arc IT. Right. What drove you to create your own company after spending 15 years working for other companies in IT? Many people in your audience who, you know, who own their own firms will probably agree with me. Uh, you want, I guess, you want to have some change or you want to be part of a change, right? So you kind of sure. see things done the same way over and over and over. And you're like, well, can't we just do this better? Like for me specifically, it was one of the companies I worked for previously. And it was a great company. Like I started there as a junior sysadmin. And I basically, in 15 years there, I grew to being the right-hand man of the owner and being the chief technical uh, resource for all other engineers, right? So I loved it there. But what I saw, instead of focusing on the customer, they started to focus more on themselves, right? And how do we make more profit? And I understand it's business supposed to make profit, but there's different ways to go about it. And when I brought that up to them, you know, the conversation didn't go as I planned. So I just said to myself in my head, well, maybe I can do this better. That's how it was born. With Arc IT, you have a specialty in dealing with architecture, design, and engineering firms. What unique problems do you see that architects have with IT over, say, a general office? Well, the biggest challenge is it's the software tools that architects use versus, let's say, a law firm or an accounting firm where all they really deal with on a day-to-day basis is documents or maybe Excel spreadsheets mm-hmm. where architects need to have more robust uh, software like CAD or BIM software in order to produce their work. And within that, there's challenges from a standpoint of not all the tools A, play nicely together, and then you want to simplify things and you want to use kind of these easy cloud tools like either it's a Google Drive or Microsoft or Dropbox. And it's not always, it, it doesn't always play nice with like your AutoCAD, right? Or right. Uh, Revit or ArchiCAD. So you need, I mean, there's a lot more things to think about in that sense. And that presents challenges. Because of the tools we use, it creates unique problems that typical IT issues you don't have typically. Correct. Yeah. Okay. I mean, not to say that you, you know, not to say that architects don't have typical IT problems like cybersecurity, you know, making sure you have good backups, making sure, you know, your files and projects are always accessible. But then you also have the next level problems of how do I make this remote work thing work, for example. Sure. Because if I'm a law firm, I just move everything to Google Drive. Everybody goes home and they synchronize their stuff and together can work on one file, five people. Right. If you're an architecture firm and you don't have the specific additional add-ons, which are costly, like if you're using ArchiCAD, it's the BIM Cloud Mm -hmm. uh, hosted platform. Or if you're using Revit, it's the BIM 360, then you can't really do it. Uh, You have to have workarounds, which are not always feasible. Like if you're using AutoCAD and you're using Dropbox or using other kind of file platforms, 
there's no AutoCAD locking mechanism. So two people can open the same AutoCAD drawing at the same time, make changes to it, and basically then the changes don't synchronize, right? So somebody overrides somebody else. So it's those kind of challenges that we have to think about. What are some of the typical services that an IT firm like yours can offer to an architectural firm that they're going to need that they may not think about? If they're looking at growing their business and may say maybe moving from one or two people to five or eight, or maybe they're eight people and they're jumping to 10 or 12, you know, what are some of the services that a firm like yours can offer to a firm that would make their lives a lot easier? I think the value that we offer, right, is time savings from the standpoint uh, of, you know, the business owner, that's number one, or, you know, whoever the most technical person in the office, right? So you usually have a most technical person in the office. It's either the business owner themselves or somebody, the right-hand man. Uh As the office grows, starts dealing, instead of doing their architecture work, on the day-to-day, they start dealing uh, with the IT issues. And what happens a lot of times is they basically deal with those issues uh, day to day during the work hours, and then they go home and do their architecture work. <laughs> That's not good. Right. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but you know, I kind of have a few acquaintances of mine that, are, uh, that have been doing that. Right. What our service can help with is that we can eliminate that from being a problem, right? We can deal with your day-to-day computer issues, but that's just kind of the beginning, right? We also offer uh, strategic help, strategic guidance, strategic support, where, as you said, if all of a sudden, you know, an architecture firm wins a competition uh, of some sorts, right? And they expect there's going to be more projects coming from it and they're going to hire more people, we can sit down and talk about that. What does that mean for your systems? Like, what do you need to think about? Are your current tools going to be good enough to then, does it scale the way you're doing things right now? Does it scale from two people to 10 people? Or will it scale from 10 people to 25 people? Right. So those are all the things that we can help with, ask the right questions, identify, along with, as I mentioned, you know, responsive support. We can solve problems much quicker, knowing the software, knowing the tools that you use as a, you know, over any other kind of regular IT firm. Someone working in that office doesn't have to spend their day doing the IT questions or answering the questions, and that can be offloaded to someone else. And there's value in that. Yeah. Again, it goes back to A, time savings, and B, that time can be used for something else. As a business owner, your time is more valuable than just running around helping people fix stuff. We just mentioned firms that are growing. What sort of needs do you see with firms, say, a small five-person firm compared to a mid-sized 25-person firm or even a larger firm, 75 and up, what sort of IT challenges or differences do you see or that you've experienced? Well, let's start with the smaller uh, smaller firms first. So I think a firm that is five, seven people in size, um, their biggest thing is kind of, um, as we just talked about, you know, maybe the owner needs to get out of the way a little bit and establish some processes and some workflows and also some policies of how to use. I mean, a lot of times we find that people use their own computers. And look, I'm not against that. But as you grow, that becomes a problem because 
you know, the business has lo- lack of control over information. And when, you know, you're three people and you're all friends and it's all nice, that's great. As you start hiring more people, um, you can have, you know, relationships that don't work out and then people walk away with, you know, your interact- intellectual property, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have other things where, you know, somebody uses a computer from home and their kids get on the computer and there's a cyber security aspect to that where uh, you can infect your whole organization and lose access to your files and lose access to your projects just from that one thing. So as a smaller firm, you need to start thinking about those things because the more people you start bringing around, the less control you have. So you need to have an IT process in place to accommodate for those controls and being able to enforce certain policies and being able to differentiate between like personal and business and so on. Now, when you get to the mid-level, say, 25-person firm, what sort of services that do they require that, say, are different from the five-person firm? I'm not going to say the services are much different. I think there's an additional uh, additional components that are now more at play. Okay. I think uh, the strategic component com- comes into play a lot more because they already have certain processes in place, and there's more planning and forecasting that goes on. And we kind of need to accommodate that piece of the equation for the business, right? So they can forecast for three years. And most businesses can do that once they reach a certain size and we can accommodate that. But also, again, as the number of people grow, there's more controls that we need to help put in place uh, from a security perspective. They're working on more projects. So we need to make sure the infrastructure can support those projects you know, the backups are in place, we're able to mitigate as much of business risk as possible. Right. As the firms grow larger, we need to talk about risk mitigation as well in a bigger sense. Now, do firms, when they get larger, 75 and up, are there more difficulties that you encounter from an IT perspective? Obviously, probably workload is a little bit different. You have more people perhaps experiencing issues that you've got to deal with. But from an infrastructure standpoint, is there a lot of difference between a mid-sized firm and, and once you get to the larger size firms? Yeah, I'm going to say the biggest one comes from having multiple offices, right? dispersed geographical locations, right? Because usually at that size, a firm will have a presence in two or three different geographical locations, and you need to use tools to support that. You know, and you can use some of the cloud-hosted tools like we talked about where it's BIM 360 or BIM Cloud, but mm-hmm. it's also not as cost-efficient because each one of those licenses is expensive. So you know, there's a balance between having the on-premise infrastructure, having a mechanism to kind of sync up all the files, and making sure that everybody can work in each one of the offices you know, without any issues. I want to get into some more specific questions about Apple and Mac for IT, but we're going to take a quick break first, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Support for Inside the Apple Studio comes from Monograph. Are you tired of using dated and clunky software to manage your firm? Or do you feel frustrated wrangling all of your spreadsheets to get a clear view of where your projects stand today? Monograph is here to help. Designed by architects for architects, Monograph allows you to track your time, your projects, and your budgets in real time. With their awesome Money Gantt, you can immediately see whether you are under or over budget. Do you need to adjust your projects week to week? 
Their new tool, Resource, allows you to reallocate your team's time and track its impact on your remaining budget. Be proactive with Monograph. Learn more at monograph.com, and thanks to Monograph for their support. Welcome back. So, Boris, I wanted to start off this section by asking you how many Macs do you really kind of see in the architectural field? Because I think you bring a, an interesting perspective of, of a number of years working in this industry, catering to architects, engineers, designers. What sort of percentage do you see in your business that are, say, Mac-only firms or, say, a mix of Mac and PC firms? compared to just strictly PC offices? That's a good question. You know, if you take kind of the total count of endpoints that we support, mm-hmm. I'm going to say max are about 25% of that. Okay. As far as kind of the breakdown, if you have a smaller firm, there's better chance of it being a Mac only office than if you have in a larger firm. But we also see like a mix in larger firms. So a lot of times what happens in larger firms is a lot of staff is going to be using PCs because, you know, they're mostly working on commercial projects. Again, not not necessarily, but a lot of them working sure. on commercial projects and using using software like Krevit, which is not, not supported on the Mac. Right. Uh, but then you have like partners and principals who are not really doing any of the design work or kind of just overseeing things and they're all using Macs. Is that right? So, yeah. Okay. So I, we see, we have a few clients like that. And then, as I mentioned, we have smaller firms that are either Mac only or PC only, but those are usually under 10 people. The firms we have kind of in that mid range of, you know, 10 to 40, 50, usually tend to be PC, uh, PC heavy. So it's more the rare firm that is a larger one that may be Mac only. Yeah. It's, I think it's harder to find at least in our client base. So you have about 25% firms that you support that are Mac only or have a mix of Macs and PCs. Are there any unique support problems that you encounter with Mac only firms or firms that have Macs and PCs? There definitely are. And I want to preface this by saying that, you know, we love supporting Macs and we want to help, you know, people that we support as much as possible. But from the standpoint of us, being able to provide support, yes, there's definitely challenges with Macs. And I think a lot of the challenges come from the fact that there's not that many tools available to provide the same same level of support that we can do for PCs in the same way, uh, and also being able to enforce best business practices or business policies uh, onto these devices. So that's where we see challenges like, for example, our remote monitoring and management tool that we've used for the last three years or the first three years of the business, all of a sudden, as soon as, you know, macOS Catalina came out, it stopped working, right? So we had to try and figure out a different tool, uh, which we did and we found a great one, but, you know, there was that issue, let's just say, when that happened. Also, you know, when M1s came out and people started switching to M1s and buying M1s, again, some of our recommendations, you know, we saw... Some of the tools stopped working, like Archicad had issues for a while, you know, Adobe Acrobat had issues. So that type of stuff uh, is presenting, definitely presenting some additional challenges. Well, the Mac oftentimes, or I should say Apple oftentimes moves the Mac forward and does a good job of breaking the past to in order to move forward. And that oftentimes 
you see happen is the things that you encounter. I think Catalina was a, a big one because with Catalina, they stopped supporting 32-bit apps. And that really hurt a lot of older apps that uh, were not going to be updated and were not moving forward. And we're recording this soon after the uh, Windows 11 announcement, which uh, if I read correctly, is going to also support or stop support of 32-bit apps and uh, moving forward. So folks on the Windows PC side may start to encounter some of those issues as they move forward as well. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I think 32-bit app thing, yeah, it's a little bit of a challenge, but I don't, I don't know of many... I, obviously, people are still using some of the older apps, but sure. I don't know of many that are still doing that. Right. I think the challenge with Catalina was mostly around security. They've tightened up security where you you know you had to request permissions for specific things, you know, like the screen recording and the microphone and all of that, and that caused issues for not only our tools but a lot of other tools as well. They did tighten that up, and it did cause even casual users you know using their home P, uh, home macs started having to uh, have uh, vista flashbacks of all these pop-ups yep. coming up saying yes i approve that and then you, after a while you just stopped even reading what they were which is always a dangerous thing so with pcs in general though you alluded to the fact that you have a larger software base of tools to use to monitor and or help manage PC offices than you do, say, a Mac office. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, then my next question was going to be, what could Apple do to make the Mac a little bit more friendly for IT? There's a few things that I believe they can do. One is provide better support for people in the ec- ecosystem. Okay. And not just from the standpoint of because everybody has SDKs and things like that, but maybe let me let me try to answer it differently. Okay, I think you and I had a conversation on LinkedIn where we're trying to apply to one of the posts about Bluebeam, right? So Bluebeam is a perfect example of this, where they had a Mac version. Obviously, it wasn't as good as their PC version, but it was decent enough to be able to use on a Mac and utilize the full features of the software. But at a point, they had to stop developing it just because you know their small development team can only focus on they couldn't keep up with all the changes that apple was making inside of their development kits right right basically they it wasn't in the best interest of their business to keep investing all these resources where it was only a small base of users uh, who were purchasing that software right right so i mean we have to look at it from that standpoint so i understand that you know apple is a huge company and they have a huge following but maybe they need to kind of help um, these type of developers as well, where instead of you know charging them 30% or more to be in the Apple store, right, for their apps, you actually sub- subsidize them to create more products from that side, right? Because as an architect or as a person who supports architect, I really don't like answering the question, well, what can I do? I love Bluebeam. What can I do, right? Right. And for a lot of architects, the answer is, well, we have this one PC in our office that is just there. We use Macs, but we have this one PC that just runs Bluebeam on it. And people, uh, when they need to use Bluebeam, sit down. Because a lot of, in San Francisco, for example, right, to get an approval or a permit, you need to use Bluebeam to, uh, Bluebeam Studio to actually do that electronically. Right. So that's kind of my little spiel on that. (laughs) I think you bring up a very good point. And 
it's a challenge that Apple has had throughout its business life. And I know that back in the 90s, Apple used to do that. They would actually help and provide support to smaller developers in more, and I'll say niche industry, because I think architecture, you know, in comparison to the larger world of who's using these computers is a niche industry. When you look at the overall number of users, it's nowhere compared to many of the other industries out there that are using computers in general. It would be nice if Apple could actually do that again. And maybe they do do that for other industries, but they've really, over the last 10 or 15 years, turned away from the architecture and and engineering industry, the AEC industry. They don't really focus on it anymore. They used to have an entire page on their website uh, that was focused on architects and would give suggestions of software that architects could use. And they they don't have that anymore. Of course, they don't really have that for any industry anymore. So it's not really maybe fair to criticize them for that. But I do think that when you do see Apple promoting different industries, they tend to focus on music and video, where they do have professional apps uh, that do compete in those spaces. But there are a number of users out there, myself included, that use a Mac for architecture and a lot of the listeners to this show. Right. And so there, there are people out there that do want these tools. While I do understand Bluebeam's issue, it would be nice if Apple could help them out in some way and throw them a few bucks and, and help them because it would really make a big difference to the whole industry. I think it would be great if they could do that. From an IT perspective, because obviously I'm guessing you're not always in somebody's office to perform IT services. You're doing that remotely typically. So what are the challenges that you find and are there specific software that you use to remote into offices to help them? Going back to my previous point, now we have two. Uh, We used to have one that worked well. Now we have two. We have one separate for Windows PCs and another one for uh, Macs. For Macs, we use a tool called Adagy, which is a pretty good tool. There's also a tool called Gem, which is very similar, but Adagy is more focused on managed IT service providers like us. So we can have different kind of sub uh, sub policies and subsections for each one of our customers where they don't intersect to make sure that we keep everything separately and can enable different policies for each one of those customers. So we have that tool, uh, which, you know, it's really helpful. Yeah, from that standpoint, we basically use that tool to either deploy software to help manage policies like password policies and do all other kinds of cool things on your computer, as well as log into it remotely and take over and kind of help you walk through things. So from that standpoint, I think we're in good shape right now, but that wasn't always the case. These tools would not have been available three years ago, for example, right? It would be a bigger issue. So would you say then that IT services for Mac is an an improving market? It is definitely an improving market. And I think it's improving. Uh, The progression is kind of similar to the business adoption of Macs inside a business, because there's, as we mentioned, there's different challenges between a smaller firm and a larger firm. And the reason why the larger firms may not adopt Macs just yet, or I mean, there's multiple reasons, but one of the reasons is it's still not easy 
to control maps as it is computers. And it was constantly changing landscape, like the operating systems that are changing and kind of breaking things. Right. It'll be much harder. Being an IT person yourself, do you personally use a Mac? I do now. (laughs) (laughs) So I do. So I use both. Okay. I have a Mac that I use mostly for when I need to do some creative work, like marketing work or video editing or audio editing, where I need to do something quickly. So I have a Mac for that. Other than that, on my day-to-day, I still use a PC just because I grew up with it and it's much easier for me to move around. Sure. I do use a Mac and I do find it helpful specifically with those tasks, uh, more creative tasks that we're talking about. So on those creative tasks, do you have any specific software that you like to use for those types of tasks? So I use Adobe Premiere for video editing. And then for audio, I think it's Audacity. It's one of the tools that I use. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So why do you choose to use those on, because I think they're both available on either platform. Why do you choose to use those on a Mac instead of on the PC that you're more familiar with? I feel the performance is better. I feel that my PC is kind of, <laughs> I have so so much stuff installed on it. And I usually work with like 40 Google Chrome things open, right? Tabs open. Like the Mac is kind of my separate digital creative workstation. You know, I don't have Google Chrome on it, right? I don't have things open on it. It's just these couple of softwares and that's it. Okay. So it's more of a specialized machine to do, yep. to do certain tasks for you that obviously are not, there's not a lot of other things running on it. You're using your Mac also because you're servicing 25% of your businesses using those tools. Yeah. And so that Mac, and then I also have a few Mac virtual machines that we use for testing, making sure that tools are working and that the latest update we're going to push out is not going to break our customers' software and things like that. So you will use different CAD softwares and you will update them and run them in a virtual machine to make sure they work first before you push out those updates? As part of our service, we're managing updates for our customers. And this is basically anywhere from operating system updates Mm -hmm. to tools updates as well. You know, there's different pricing structures, but that aside, basically anytime we have an update event, let's say a new Windows update comes out or a new Mac OS update comes out. And I know a lot of people just have it set to automatically update. And as soon as they get the little notification, they click to update, which is not the greatest thing you can do, again, for your business, right? Because you don't want to be stuck the next morning when some of your applications don't work. Right. So the key component of our service is managing the updates. And behind managing, I mean, is we understand when they come out, Uh, We download them, test them, our lab machines and virtual machines, uh, make sure that all the applications work, and then we push them out to our clients. So when you say they work, are you just opening them to make sure that they at least open without any issues? Or do you actually like open some files and do some things? From your perspective as an IT person, what sort of things would you typically do to make sure that something works? Because sometimes you can easily open an app and it'll open fine, but then maybe when you try and do something with it, then there's an issue. So we're not doing any type of deep quality assurance testing. Okay. But what we do is, for example, we have a virtual workstation that runs Archicad uh, on a Mac OS and also runs Adobe. Um, So what we would do is when we push out a system update, 
we make sure that we can open Archicad, open a sample project file. Okay. I understand that there could be issues with other project files, but open a sample project file from within Archicad itself, open a sample project file from the teamwork component to make sure that we can still connect to BIM Cloud and things like that. And then in Adobe, also try to open a PDF, try to edit it, try to save it, and then close it, right? So like we do the basic stuff from the functionality perspective. I'm not an architect. I'm not going to go in to a model and try to move walls around and things like that. But from an IT perspective, as long as we can open a file, we can make a change, we can save a file, and there's no errors, then that's as much of testing that we can do. Now, how much of that are you able to script? I'm sure you can do a lot of it. And I'm all for automation. And we're kind of always looking out for replacing some of the manual labor uh, with automation. We're still doing a lot of this stuff manually just because maybe there's not a good answer why, right? Yeah. But just because we have been doing it for a while and I haven't found a solution that is easy enough to implement. Obviously, you can code anything. It's just how much time do you really willing to invest into it and how much time does it save you on the back end? Right. If this was me, not a business owner, but me just a thinker, I'd probably spend all my days doing it. But since I'm now a business owner, I have to think about time invested and money invested versus what are we getting back? For now, it hasn't been like, it's not a problem worth solving right now, but it will be as we grow, as we need to scale our services. Yeah. The more things we need to test, we'll definitely need to look at um, additional tools and automations that are available. What Apple products and services do you currently use? You mentioned a couple of uh, video editing and audio editing software, but other than those two, are there any others that you use on your Mac that you find useful? This tool is probably, it's, it's actually not a Mac tool, but it goes back to the conversation we had about automation. Uh-huh. There's a product that comes with a Microsoft Office 365 subscription. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners, listeners, although they're using a Mac, I may also be using Microsoft. Yeah. Um, so the Microsoft 365 subscription also comes with a tool called Microsoft Flow. Mm-hmm. And what Microsoft Flow allows you to do is automate some of the more mundane tasks, like sending a daily email or setting a daily reminder you know, Teams is very popular, so a lot of Teams workflows. So automating some of those workflows, which are really helpful. Like, for example, some of your listeners can agree with this. Getting your team to do time cards and enter their time on time is, <laughs> is a pain. Yeah. Uh, just as much as a pain as it is for us in IT as well. I have like a daily reminder going to one of our Teams channels uh, where all our technical team is. Basically, using Microsoft Flow, it just sends a a daily reminder at 4.45 before 5 o'clock end of day right? to submit, you know, daily time cards. And so, so stuff like that can be easily automated and kind of out of sight, out of your mind uh, when before you had to do that. There's other tools that do it. It's just, we have a Microsoft subscription and it comes as a part of it. So that's why I'm recommending, that's why I'm using it and I'm recommending. But other ones are, if this, then that. Uh-huh. And then Zapier, I think, is another one that does a similar thing in terms of either pulling data automatically in the background from some app and putting in another app or just automatically um, doing some workflows. Beyond just the apps that you might be using, what are your favorite things about working with Macs and other Apple devices? So I really like the design. The simplicity of the design and just like the way it feels in your hand 
we're not even talking about the latest MacBooks, but like previous generation MacBook Pros, especially. Mm-hmm. Really love those that design, kind of the metallic. So really like that. Um, I like the fact that again, the system is designed technologically, right? So it's one operating system that supports one set of components that have been rigorously tested. You get rid of of all the kind of issues, well, not all of them, but a lot of the issues that you experience with Windows, where it's Windows on top of who knows what kind of hardware. And that's how we get blue screens is because, well, that hardware doesn't really like talking to each other, right? Got it. So Mac eliminates that because, again, it's mostly a set of components that's, or, you know, three or four different configurations, but, you know, similar components that have been tested specifically with this operating system. From an IT perspective, Apple makes things a little bit easier for you in some ways than the competition. Somewhat. Uh, we talked about all the other challenges. <laughs> yeah. And also the marketing from the fact that, oh, it's as easy as pushing buttons. It works when you're, again, when you're using it for personal use and when you're syncing your iPhone to your iCloud and your Mac, right? But then I think as you're in business and your business grows, you need to have the separation of personal versus business. And because of that, one of the challenges we had just recently is like a person just ran out of hard disk space well, because she had her iPhone synced to her work Mac and all her pictures from her iPhone just totally synced up and took all the space on her hard drive, right? Right. Now she can do work and now we have to solve that problem, which wouldn't have been a problem if there was a separation between her personal stuff and her and her work stuff. So things like that, that make me a little uncomfortable, right? Same thing. You have a Mac device that talks to your personal iCloud, which is also signed, now signed into your business computer. If you get a virus on that one device somehow, whether your kids install a game or something, obviously it's harder uh, nowadays because it's been so much talked about, but it's still, right. you know, if you have a jailbroken device, right? You can install stuff from anywhere, not just the app store. Right. And then it can infect the business machine as well. How does the iPhone work into IT in an office like this? Because many users, it used to be, we would just have a a work phone on our desk. Now that, especially over the last year during the pandemic, everybody's working remotely and you've got an iPhone or an Android phone or something that is now a part of this. And you just mentioned when somebody was syncing their own personal photos up to their work computer that caused issues. How does the iPhone play into IT management? And is that something that needs to be considered if you're an architect and you're either growing your business or you've got uh, several employees and they do either they're either using their personal phone or you're supplying them a phone. How does the iPhone kind of work into that equation? Mm, I'm trying to think of the best way. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of the best way to frame the, I guess, frame the answer, right? Well, we have to, as you mentioned, being remote, you kind of rely on that device more and more, right? You have to use it either for just standard voice communications where you're either forwarding your office line to it or, for example, more and more of our clients are switching from, as you mentioned, phone on a desk to a voice over IP system that can be also installed as an app on the phone. I mean, we use it internally, like we use the Sideline app for our service desk line, where we install it on all of our employees' phones and it rings as a secondary 
phone number mm-hmm. on everybody's phone. When somebody calls in for support, basically whoever is first just picks it up and answers it. So we use that. And then, yeah, we have more and more clients who are switching to either Microsoft Teams with a Teams app on their iPhone uh, or a Zoom provided phone system or 8 by 8 I mean, there's a lot of phone systems that kind of do that where you no longer need a phone on your desk as long as there's an app. But then that also presents other challenges, right? And some of the challenges you need to think about are also of legal nature. Uh, well, it's risk, some of the business risk and legal. So mm-hmm. from a business risk standpoint, when somebody checks email on their phone, that email gets downloaded to their phone. You know, what happens when that, that phone gets lost or stolen, right? Yeah. If you didn't have any controls over it, do you know if the person was locking it? Do you know if they have a fingerprint on it or just some basic one, two, three, four passcode? When it gets stolen, can you wipe the data? As a business, you can't, right? So if the person just loses it and doesn't go to Apple Store or doesn't go to their Find My Device and can't find it, that data is out there and can be accessed by, by the bad guys. So yeah, from that standpoint, it's harder. But legally, you can't really enforce those policies and say, look, you have access to our email, we're going to wipe your device if you lose it, unless you own the device. So if it's a corporate-provided device, then you can do whatever you want with it. But if it's a mm-hmm. personal device, then you can't really do whatever you want from it. So there's a lot of kind of interesting dynamics there, which are slowly being solved, but it, it's a work in progress. Let's just put it that way. So it's definitely something that uh, as a firm owner or an architect working in a firm, things that you need to really consider, especially it sounds like if I'm taking photos, is this device my personal device? Is it my work device? And this not only for the phone, but for the computer itself. Yes, as well. Yeah. And we see, at, I think I mentioned this before in the show, but I'll re- repeat myself, but smaller firms, a lot of times have their employees use their personal computers just because they don't want to make the investment into a machine. And that's understandable. At the same time, you have to understand that there's a risk associated with that. That data is on that computer. And if the person decides to walk, then the data stays there. And maybe it's nothing sensitive from your standpoint, right? but it could be valuable to you at some point. Definitely a lot of things to consider when bringing somebody like yourself into a firm. There's a lot of questions to really kind of ask yourself that an IT specialist really can help you kind of figure out. Yeah. And at least start thinking about it, right? Because not everybody even thinks about it until it's too late. Right. And when it's too late, it's too late. Like you're you're either losing data or you're losing access or you're losing productivity. Right. You don't want to be in that situation. And uh, that's why, and I'm not trying to scare anybody, but it's the reality of things. Like nobody ever considers calling an IT person until they have a problem. Right. And I don't want to compare myself to insurance, but it kind of like that, right? Like you buy the policy, but you don't care about that policy until there's a problem. It's an important thing to consider. Do you buy insurance for your business, which you probably have to? And then IT services is an important part of that business as well, especially for some of the issues that you're talking about that business owners may not even be thinking about. We're focused on architecture. We're not, this is a a common thing you often hear. We didn't go to architecture school to become business owners. Some people do. And that works out great for them, but not all of us do. And then suddenly we're thrust into this position where we are business owners having to deal with a lot of these business issues that we weren't really prepared for. And so it's something very important to consider when you're 
growing your business beyond just one person and yourself. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. And we're here to at least take that one of those headaches away from you. So if anyone's listening and they're considering using a Mac in their business, what advice would you give them? So think about this carefully. If you're using tools or if you have used tools previously, like the Autodesk tools or Bluebeam in other firms, you will need to make workarounds, like either running Parallels or running Bootcamp. You'll need to install Windows on that Mac somehow. If you're looking to use those tools, please consider that. If you already know that the tools that you're using are going to be compatible with the Mac, then go for it. Uh, just make sure that, again, try as hard as possible to provide uh, separation between personal stuff and business. And also, yeah, if you can't afford it, make sure that every one of your employees gets a machine that's separate for business and not using their personal computers. And, um, you know, we'll be here to support you if you need it. I think that's really good advice, actually, to separate your business and your personal life as much as you can on each device. You know, try and have your business Mac and then maybe a separate personal Mac, you know, your daily, oftentimes your daily driver, you know, whatever that machine is that's got uh, ArchiCAD or Vectorworks or even AutoCAD on it, uh, the Mac version of AutoCAD, make that your business machine and that's your work machine. Keep it that way. Put your photos and your personal email addresses and keep that on a separate Mac if you can, because that way those two worlds don't collide. And then if you do end up installing an update, your work machine, your daily driver, the thing that you use to make money continues to work. And that's probably the best advice from an IT perspective that you can give. Yeah, for sure. You got it. You nailed it. <laughs> You're saying I have a future in IT? Is that no, it? Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Boris, hey, I, I do appreciate you sharing your Apple and Mac experience. I think it's really critical that all architects, you know, look and really kind of understand a lot of the things that you talked about during the show here. And then before we move to our final segment, I do want to ask you, though, to share any app or utility or service that you find most useful in your, in your work environment. So I already shared Microsoft Flow and the automations there. The Adobe Premiere that helps us do video editing, that's very helpful for me. And I don't do a lot of it, but I do like to tinker sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So that, I think that would be a very good tool. For our work, we have a lot of proprietary tools that we do to manage computers. So, I, you know, I don't know if that's going to be of interest to the audience. So, yeah, I'm just going to say Adobe Premiere. So let's move to our final segment, which is our 10 questions. So the first question is, what is your favorite word? Mom. What's your least favorite word? Hate. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Mountains. And what turns you off? Laziness. What sound or noise do you love? A bell. What sound or noise do you hate? You know, that screeching sound. <laughs> you know, the screeching on a whiteboard, like... Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Down the chalkboard, kind of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's the one. Okay. What is your favorite curse word? The F word. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Hmm. I'd like to be a basketball player. 
what profession would you not like to do? Hmm. Probably clean any type of cleaning. And our last one, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome to the real world. That's a great answer. Boris, I'd like to thank you for joining me in this episode of Inside the Apple Studio. Can you let our listeners know where they can find you online? Sure. So um, our company website is getarchit.com. So that's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T.com. And uh, you can click the work with us button and ask us any questions. There's also a chat function. I would like you to check out our educational series about all things computers, IT for architecture and design firms. And that's located under the Lunch and Learn tab. So just, yeah, go to our website, click on the Lunch and Learn, and there'll be a lot of interesting stuff that you can check out. Oh, fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. I've I've actually seen some of those and they're actually quite helpful. I definitely encourage your listeners to check those out. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Boris, I appreciate your time and thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much, Neil. Thanks for having me. And uh, everybody have a great rest of your day. Thank you. I have been your host, Neil Pan. And thank you for listening to this episode of Inside the Apple Studio. I'd like to thank my guest, Boris Rappaport, for joining me and for Monograph for their support. Learn more about Monograph at monograph.com. Find the show in your favorite podcast player by searching for Inside the Apple Studio and support the show by leaving a five-star rating and comment in Apple Podcasts. Remember to follow the show by selecting the follow button in Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Inside the Apple Studio is a production of Apple for Architects at appleforarchitects.com.